Thanks. Well, I have to say, I agreed it was time for a woman to talk about Mary. And so I said yes. Um, but like Randy said, it wasn't, he kind of had to convince me a little bit. Um, but no, I'm so glad to be here. Sometimes I still pinch myself that I get to do this and call it a job and just um, be able to pour out of where I feel God has called me. And it's, it's a blessing. So thanks for being willing to listen. But I don't know about you, but here we are post-Christmas, and I always have this like mixed feeling at this time of the year. I really like Christmas. I really like white lights and pretty things, and um, I love the feel of my house at Christmas time. But maybe you're like my sister, and she is like the day Christmas is over, the next morning, bam, everything is down. <laughs> the tree is down. The stockings are put away. Everything, you don't even know that Christmas was around, and she decorates every single square inch of her house. So it's not an easy task to get that all put away. And this year, I texted her at 10 o'clock on December 26th, and I said, so is everything down? And she said, no, I'm actually really liking the lights this year, and I'm just, I really like how pretty my house looks. I think I'm going to leave it for the week. And I'm like, oh, you've grown up. You've matured into loving Christmas as much as I do. And then she texted me two days later and said, I totally caved. Everything's put away. <laughs> and so I don't know where you fall on that spectrum. I like to let it linger a little bit. I love the lights. I love the silent nights and the angels singing and the hope for peace on earth like we just prayed about. And so I take things down in shifts. Like I'll take down the stockings and I'll take down anything that has Santa in it. And I'll put away nativity sets because, you know, like the baby's been born now. We don't need those out anymore. And then I'll leave all the pretty white lights and red berries and all that kind of stuff out. But as I was preparing for this this week, I was thinking about the fact, you know, I do that with Mary a lot. <laughs> like I have her out at Christmas and I go, I want to learn from this amazing woman who did these amazing things, had all these amazing yeses in her life. And then I tuck her away <laughs> and I don't really think about her. I package her up, put her back in the box or the shelf or wherever it goes and I don't give her a lot of thought. But then maybe on Good Friday, Easter weekend, I'll think about her a little bit as she's standing at the foot of the cross and she's watching her son be executed. And I think, what mother could live through that? What mother could possibly live through that? And then I tuck her away again. And at Easter, I don't even really unwrap her. Like, I don't get out the little Mary thing. I just think about her. And then I tuck her away. And I think Mary has more to teach us than those two chapters, this two-dimensional view that we have of her. I think she's so much more. And these last weeks, we've been learning a lot about what Mary had to say and things that we've learned from her. And some of the things we've learned is that Mary lost some things. She lost her reputation. She lost her dreams. She lost respect from her Jewish community. I wonder sometimes... Did she walk around and people just made all sorts of assumptions about what kind of girl she was? In fact, I even wonder sometimes, what did her parents think? Did they believe her? And then I think about Joseph. Did he believe her? Not at first. In fact, he wanted to tuck her away quietly. He didn't want to shame her. He was a good man, a righteous man, but he wanted to tuck her away and keep shame from her. So Mary lost some things. I also learned that what we call common, God calls blessed. And in so doing, he totally rewrites the definition of blessed. Mary said yes. Mary believed that she was favored. And what that means is that she actually believed that she was 
already who God said she was. That's a big deal. And I think some of the rest of her chapters are going to tell us a little bit more of that. I also learned this in this time that part of what Christmas is about is, a, is believing what a woman actually said about her sex life. I don't know what her parents thought. I don't know what Joseph's initial thoughts were. I do know her pregnancy wounded people, people that she loved best. And nine months later, after this miracle <laughs> pregnancy happened, she gave birth. And we don't know exactly where that was. It was probably a cave or a back room where animals were stored. It probably wasn't a barn like many of us picture. But she gave birth to this baby. And we don't know who was there. We think Joseph was probably there. He traveled with her to Bethlehem. He's the reason she went. So he was probably there somewhere. I'm hoping he held that baby so she could get some sleep. Um, but I, we don't know who was with her. Maybe some of the women that she would have traveled with would have been there acting as midwives. That would be common in the Jewish world, but we don't know that that happened because maybe the women were like, I don't want anything to do with this illegitimate child or this girl. Uh-uh. My reputation means more to me than that. We don't know. We don't know. But yet she said yes. I also learned that the context of Mary's story, this world that was occupied by the Roman Empire and steeped in all sorts of unhealthy patriarchy where women were not even considered fully human, that's crazy, not even fully human. And yet this strong young woman says yes to God. And the part that stood out to me is she didn't ask permission. <laughs> she didn't go to her father, whose home she probably was still living in, because she was betrothed to Joseph, but they hadn't consummated the marriage yet, which means she probably wasn't living with him. And she didn't go to her dad and say, Dad, what do you think? <laughs> this is your house, your reputation too. She said yes without going to her dad. And she said yes without going to her betrothed. She was sealed to Joseph. That meant it was, it was binding. <laughs> It's why he could divorce her. And yet she said yes, all on her own. This is a big deal. It's a really big deal. Because Mary had figured out who she was. And that this father that she believed in, this heavenly father that she worshipped, she could go to him, to him on her own terms, with her own voice, with her own yes, without seeking other people's permission. And as she did that, and as Gabriel came to her, the other thing I've learned through these sermons is that Mary was really prepared <laughs> with her yes. She knew some stuff. She was smart. She had studied. I picture her like sitting at the feet of her rabbi youth pastor person, which probably would have met in the women's courts, which isn't like the ladies' room. It's not like, you know, how women go to the bathroom all together and we talk in there. That's not what the women's court was. The women's court was actually a place where men and women could be. And people could teach and they would listen and learn. And I believe Mary was paying attention in those times. And she was learning who this God was and who he said she was. And she paid attention to teachers and people in her life. I also believe that some of the people that had influence in her life were probably women. Women like her mother. Women like her, maybe her grandmother and other prominent people and women in the, in the community. And she paid attention and she went, oh, they respond to God in this way. And she sat from them and learned from them. Because you see, she didn't walk around with a Bible. There were no Bibles to be walking around with. So Mary was taking all these things in 
and already pondering things in her life. And she was smart. And her song that Ian preached about last week, Mary's song, the Magnificat, beautiful, beautiful words, seeping and overflowing in the theology of Hannah. Where would she have learned that? Who would have told her about this brave woman in the Old Testament? They wouldn't have referred to it that way. But she knew who Hannah was. She knew Hannah's story. She knew Hannah's words. And they came out in her song. And just like Mary, I'm so grateful for some of the strong women in my world <laughs> that have paved the way and said, you can say yes to God too. And you don't need permission. And you don't need to wait to do that. You can step out in confidence. People like my grandmother, who I grew up in her home, and I'd sometimes resent her prayers because it usually meant I had to go to church and not go play, practice volleyball or whatever I'd rather be doing. Or people like my aunt, who's my mentor and my friend to this day, who speaks truth to me like nobody can. Or people like April, she's this feisty youth pastor girl from North Dakota, an area where, let me tell you, it is risky being a girl who speaks out about anything spiritual or theological. And yet April has a voice and I learn from her all the time. Or people like Carolyn Custis James. She's a female theologian. I love to study her stuff. I love to sit at her feet, so to speak, and just take in and learn from this woman who's, who's so wise. And in fact, a lot of her thoughts even informed this message today because I just so trust her. But people that teach us and we listen to them, and Mary did that, and Mary knew God already before she even said yes so the angel didn't totally probably freak her out because she went, oh yeah, I hear this is what God does. He shows up and he tells us to do the impossible and that he's going to be with us in it. Where did she learn that? Those are things that stuck with me through this. But as Mary makes this journey from being the mother of this Christ child to a disciple of him, may I even say the first disciple of him, there's some chapters along the way, some things that she learned. And so I just want to think through some of that with you this morning. And before we get too far from Christmas, because it still looks pretty Christmassy in here, um, let's talk about Mary and Joseph. Because woven into Mary's story is this another, another story that's just waiting to be told, and that's the story of Joseph. And Joseph's kind of like Mrs. Noah. Anybody know who Mrs. Noah was? Other than she was married to this crazy guy who started building this boat when it wasn't raining. And he's like, God told me to, and so I'm doing it. We don't know Mrs. Noah, right? But there was one. We don't know who she is. And so maybe Joseph's kind of like that. Or maybe Joseph is kind of like uh, Queen Elizabeth's Prince Philip. Like, do we really know anything about Prince Philip? Not a whole lot. Do we know a lot about Queen Elizabeth? Yeah. <laughs> or what about Dennis? Anybody know who Dennis is? Dennis is Margaret Thatcher's husband. But really, do we know him? Did you even know his name was Dennis? Maybe a few of you did. But they all know what it's like to be the sidekick of the real star of the story, the forgotten one in the margins. And I wonder if Joseph felt that way at any point. But I think that we really can't afford to lose Joseph's story because he was a pretty extraordinary man. Based on the facts, Joseph... Um, he could have killed Mary, had her killed. Mary betrayed him. She had broken her vows in his mind. He had every right in that Jewish context to blow up, become hateful, become bitter, to order a stoning of her. 
But you see, Joseph wasn't that kind of guy. (laughs) Joseph was a disciple too. And he didn't do that. He was a righteous man. He was faithful to the law. This is what Matthew tells us. He was bent on doing things right in in God's eyes no matter what it cost him. So instead of heading straight to court and demanding a divorce, this deeply wounded Joseph went to great lengths to shield Mary. And then when God came and, and an angel and came and talked to Joseph too, Joseph responded with his own yes. He had to make a decision in that point. And just like the story that's often told, when there's um, a big job that God has to do, I'm always amazed at how he brings a team together and so often the team is made of men and women coming together in this blessed alliance, coming together to do the work of the kingdom. And Mary and Joseph are kind of like that. They're that blessed alliance, just like Ruth and Boaz were for Naomi in the Old Testament when they came together for the redemption of Naomi. And I think we do well to reflect on these two and to not forget his role. Because, yeah, Mary risked everything, her reputation, her relationships, her hopes, her dreams, her life, all the things she had imagined for herself. And Joseph was right there with her, no matter how dangerous it got, no matter how crazy it felt. Joseph was as firmly committed to the call on Mary's life as Mary was. That is beautiful. When we can stand together as men and women and go, God's calling you into this, I'm here with you. I will support you, I will pray for you, I will fund you, whatever it is. But when we come together, and he risked some things. There was a crazy ruler named Herod who had major jealous insecurities and threatened all sorts of death and danger. And what did Joseph do? He packed up his shop. He relocated to another country to ensure the safety of Mary and her baby. And he could have just let her go and said, you know what, I'm out of this. My reputation means more to me. But that's not what he did. And I just think, what a message would we send to this world if as kingdom people we stood together like that as men and women and we partnered together selflessly and we did it all for the sake of Christ. I think our gender-embattled world would change. I think people would notice And so I love that we're a part of Bruce City Church and I feel very supported here. But I know that's not the case all over. What if we changed that? What if we rewrote that? So let's move on and think about a few more things about Mary before we leave here today. Some things about Mary was she was a young mother of a young child. And so Mary has said yes and Joseph had said yes. The journey to Bethlehem's happened. The baby's been born. The angels have sung. And these shepherds come and see him. And they come and they're they're like, race to the stable, whatever it was. And they come and they're like, we're here. We're here to see this Messiah, this, this lamb. And see, all the things that the angels said to them would have made sense to them. When they, when they were told that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laying in a manger, they went, that's what we do with the sacrificial lambs, the unblemished ones that we know are good enough for sacrifice. That made sense to them. And I'm guessing they got to that wherever Mary and Joseph were, and they just went, and they were talking and talking and talking. And it says that Mary pondered these things. She treasured these things. 
She kept them in her heart. And I don't think that's the last place she pondered things. I think that was a, a tone for Mary that would go on and on throughout her life. Because just eight days later, they're in the temple and they're bringing Jesus to the temple and they're presenting him to the Lord. And as they're doing this, Simeon, this prophet, comes out and he says these beautiful words over them. And then he says, a sword will pierce your own heart too. And when I've read those words, I've often thought, oh, well, that's talking about the cross. That, of course, that's when her heart's going to be pierced. Like what mother could stand at the cross and watch her son executed? Of course, that's what he's talking about. But I think her heart was maybe pierced along the way. And I think maybe it represents a little bit of the journey that Mary took from the stable, whatever that was, to the cross. And so let's look at a few of those um, times that we see interaction between Jesus and his mother. Times when she's wondering what this son of hers is even talking about. They happened. They happened often, and yet she pondered. And the first one I think of is when she was kind of letting go. Has anybody here lost a child? Like, they got out of your sight and you went, oh my gosh, where's my, where's my niece? Where's my nephew? Where's my son? Anybody? Okay, please, please raise your hand because otherwise I'm the only one in the, per in the room that's ever done that. And then I will, like, put in my bad mom badge. <laughs> um, but... Yeah, we've lost our children, we've lost sight of them, right? Our nieces, our nephews, children that are in our care. And we panic. Well, Mary and Joseph lost Jesus for three days. Three days! And they didn't get a bad parent badge. But they did, they lost them. They were a day away before they even realized that they had lost them. So they had to walk a whole day back. And then when they got to Jerusalem, they spent a whole day looking for them. And when they finally found them, he was sitting in the temple talking with the teachers <laughs> and they were astounded. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I was that child's mother, I'd be going, child, when you get home, you are grounded. <laughs> no screen time, no supper, whatever my form of discipline. I would be like, you are in big trouble. And they, they came in and I think they were astounded at Jesus' words and especially would have wanted to discipline him in those ways when he says, why were you looking for me? What? Why were we looking for you? It's been three days. You don't realize that the night has come twice while we were apart? What do you mean why were we searching for you? You're our child. Of course we would have. And I think what Jesus was saying to him is he was going, um, I had to be about my father's business. Why were you so concerned? You should have known that. You know this stuff. You know that this is what I need to be doing. Well, in this context, Jesus would have been like that tween, you know, what tweens are, right? Not quite teenagers, somewhere messed up between childhood and there. there. And Jesus was this tween, and he's going to his mom, why, why were you searching for me? And that's where I think she would have been like, you are grounded, you are in so much trouble. But he was like, no, I'm learning my father's business. Because he would have been breaking away from his mother at that point and kind of beginning to sever those ties and learn the trade of his family, learn the trade of his dad. And so he did learn carpentry from Joseph, but the business that he was about was his heavenly father's business, and he thought they should have known. And so Mary's, um, his young, her young son, he was on a mission, and he knew it, and not even Mary could get in the way of that, not even his mom. And so I think she received his words, 
but probably wasn't really clear about them and was probably maybe a little hurt by them, trying to figure out what is going on. And I think she was beginning to understand what it meant to be on the path from mother to disciple. And so she pondered and she thought, and then some more strong words came from Jesus. And when, when the strong words came from Jesus and he had these ways of talking to her, they always stuck with Mary. He wasn't rude or crass. That would have been totally against his character as God. But rather he was thoughtful and he was intentional and he made remarks that made her think and ponder. And his words to Mary, his mother, always served his most holy agenda for her to make her a follower of him. And so we see these words at the wedding of Cana. They're at a wedding. They run out of wine. Mary comes up to Jesus and says, hey, son, do your thing. <laughs> like, it's time to let people know because they ran out of wine, and that's a really, really bad thing in a Jewish context. To run out of wine at a wedding is shame-filled. And so you can save the day here. And I think he was a little, um, I think when he responded, she was a little stunned. Because what he said to her was, woman, why do you involve me? What do I have to do with you? My hour's not come. And we read those words and we think, whoa, calling, a, calling his mom woman, that's rude. <laughs> and that, but we would definitely view that as more rude even than he would have been. For what he was doing was he was responding to her as a disciple. He was shifting their relationship. And he was saying, woman, it's not my time. And what he was also telling her is our relationship is shifting. I'm not taking directives from you anymore. That's not the way this works. I hear from my heavenly father and I do his will. Those are hard words for a mom. I have a grown son, and, you know, you, it's a weird shift in momhood when, or parenthood when all your, all your child's life you've managed them, like you've made decisions for them, you get them to the place they need to be on time, you tell them to pack their lunch at a certain point, but you packed it up until a certain point, and things begin to shift, and they become adults, and all of a sudden you go from managing a child to being a consultant in a child's life. And what we all know about that is that you don't have to listen to a thing a consultant tells you. <laughs> you can pay them a lot of money to give you good ideas, and then you can go, ah, no, I don't think so. That's kind of like an adult child. <laughs> in so many ways, we make this shift. And we hear, we, all of a sudden, we're like, oh my gosh, I don't get to call all the shots here anymore. And Mary was beginning to learn that. And she was beginning to learn that Jesus was going to be about his father's business. And she could, she could agree and be a part of it, or she could choose not to. But he had a mission. And so her words, or his words made her ponder and think and contemplate what was going on. But what I love about that story is that he did end up making the water into wine. He just needed to teach his mom a little lesson along the way. But in the end, he did do what she wanted. And I love that. <laughs> I think that's just good for mom's hearts when your grown child responds in the way you hoped they would. <laughs> but then there's another jarring word. And this is a time where um, Mary and Jesus' brothers are concerned about him. They're concerned. They're like, 
whoa, like you are with people all the time. You're not eating right. You're not sleeping right. You're a mess. Like you need, you need to take better care, self-care. We need to be about self-care here. And so they want to intervene. And I think they had some good intention in that. But I also think, I can't help but think, that maybe they were getting to the point in Jesus' ministry where they were going, he's embarrassing. He's saying things that are going to get him killed. And if he gets himself killed, that's a reflection on us. That makes us look bad as a family here. That makes you look bad, Mary, as a mom. People are going to think your son's crazy. Are we okay with this? Let's go. Let's go get him. And it says they went to him to restrain him. <laughs> I'm like, were they going to like wrap ropes around him and like force feed him? I don't know. I don't know what their intentions were. But they wanted to go and get him. And they went to the place that he was and he was teaching. And there were so many people around him that they couldn't get to him. And they tried and they couldn't. And so they sent someone in and said, tell Jesus that his mom and his brothers are out here and they need to see him. And then their intent was they were going to take him home <laughs> and set him straight a little bit. And I think these jarring words that came from Jesus kind of stopped them in their tracks. For what Jesus responded with when that came was, who are my mother and brothers? And then after looking around at those who were seated in a circle, he said, here are my mother and brothers. Whoever does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. And I think at this point, Jesus was kind of giving them two heads ups. <laughs> I think he was saying, here's two messages for you in this. First, keep your eye on the ball. What matters most is listening and hearing and obeying my word. That is what you need to be doing. That's what you need to be about. And the second thing that I think he was doing is something that is super profound because he was actually guiding them to a place of true relationship with him. And it was one that transcends biological relationship. He was rewriting what family is. And that's a huge turning point in his relationship with Mary. He was redefining family. Biological family ties were a big deal in Jewish context. Everything was about genealogy and bloodline and where you came from and who you were. And Jesus said, not anymore. Not anymore. I have a spiritual family for you. I have a kingdom family for you. And you need to know who that is. And maybe that's something we need to hear today. And we need to say, who is my family? And Jesus is saying, look around. Look around. This is your family. And for some of us, that's really comforting because maybe our biological family isn't a place that we're proud of. Maybe it's a place that comes with some hurt or some shame. And what Jesus is saying here, even to Mary, is shocking and as bold as it may sound, he was saying to her, physically giving birth to me meant nothing if you don't follow the way of the kingdom. Even that, her calling was to hear his words and live by them. Her calling was to follow Jesus and cultivate, cultivate the family resemblance that comes from looking like her son. And then there was one last jarring word. And it was a time when Jesus again was teaching and a woman in the crowd was moved. She loved him. She loved what she was hearing. She loved everything about him, and she yells out from the crowd, blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you. 
And I think Mary was like, yes, finally, somebody's recognizing what I did. And I think there was a part of her that was like, oh, finally, finally, I get to like sit in the carriage and wave at the adoring crowds. And I think she was a little surprised again when Jesus responded wasn't, hey, amen, preach sister. Yes, my mom's awesome. Words that I know I love to hear. (laughs) That wasn't Jesus's response. Instead, I almost think there was like a pregnant pause in that moment. A time when he kind of went, I actually, I dare to disagree. Not blessed is the mother who gave birth and nursed you but rather, blessed rather, are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And I think Mary wrestled, and I think Mary pondered, and I think Mary was on a journey from going from mother to disciple. And there's a blessedness that Jesus offers both men and women in that. Our world really isn't so different in the accolades that we gave. I I grew up believing that my biblical calling as a woman was to be a mom and to be a wife. And I grew up with that drilled into my head that that, when I achieved that, then I had achieved. And that's what I grew up. And by some crazy luck of nature, I did get married, and I'm thankful for that. My husband is right over there, and he's wonderful. And I got married, and even though there was a million reasons and a million whys that people felt very free to share with me of why I couldn't and shouldn't and probably wouldn't ever be married. And somehow in the midst of it, I was. And then there was the journey to motherhood. And mind you, these are the two things that I was told that if I am going to be a godly woman, I needed to acquire. And so it wasn't an easy path. And then motherhood came in a way that I did not expect it, And it was after many years and many tears and many lies and much damage, our family came together. And it was a miracle. And it's another story for another time. It's one I love to tell, but I won't take the time this morning to do that. But I just wonder sometimes, in the midst of all of that, I wonder how the words of Jesus to his mother would have impacted my life back then if I had just heard him. If I had just heard the shocking words of blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Not you are blessed because you're a mom. Not you are blessed because you are a wife. Not you are blessed because you are a husband or a caregiver or a CEO. No, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. And Jesus zeroed in on two very, very sacred institutions for women, and he redefined both of them. Because according to Jesus, like I just said, a woman's life is not blessed when she becomes a mother, and not if she doesn't. A woman's life is not blessed when she becomes a wife, and not if she doesn't. A woman's life is blessed when she hears the word of God and obeys it. A man's life is blessed when he hears the word of God and obeys it. It's the crowning glory for both men and women. And it was Mary's identity too. If Mary's identity and meaning was of life only depended on motherhood, 
and only depended on family, it would have destroyed her. Because there was a time she came to where she stood at the foot of the cross and she watched her son get executed. And if Mary's identity was only wrapped up in that, it would have killed her that day. But Mary's identity went deeper than that. Because you see, Jesus came to save Mary too. And his words were sometimes jarring, but they also set her free. And they set her free from her identity as blessed mother, and it gave her an identity that could endure even the cross. And so that's where we find her in one of her final scenes. We find Mary at the foot of the cross. And I ponder this scene many times, especially as we're in the Easter season and Good Friday, they come, of course, to mind. But you know, Mary's earliest days to the end of her life, she knew she was called to more. And nothing could take that from her. And so when we find her, many times I think, in the past especially, I would think, seeing Mary at the foot of the cross, I think, was her question on her mind, like, is this what call it? blessed is called? Is this what it means to be favored? Is this what it means to give everything that I wanted to to you? To watch my son die? This is what, this is it? This is what I was called to? And I wonder if the heavens just wept with her. Because there were no angel choruses anymore. There were only shouts of crucify him at this point. And then this final exchange of words happens between Mary and Jesus. And in John, it's recorded, and it says, When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, dear disciple, dear follower, here's your son. And to John the disciple, he said, Here is your mother. And from that time on, the disciple took her into his home. And I read those words and I thought, wait a minute, what's going on? Jesus had brothers that could have kept and taken care of her. Why would he have said that? Because he was still rewriting the definition of family. And he was saying, you are being called into something more. You have a community that is there for you and you will be there for them. You have things to give them. You're a trailblazer, Mary. People need you. John needs you. Others will need you. And he was rewriting that definition, even there at the cross. And you see, Mary, she's a trailblazer. For women, young and old, she blazed a path of courage and faith and demonstrated all sorts of power that a woman who will risk everything for God for the sake of the kingdom can experience. But she was an example for us all. She was the first to believe and lay down her life for the gospel. She was the first to leave everything to follow Jesus. She was the first to love him. She was the first to minister to him. She was the first to hear and treasure his words. She was the first to share in his sufferings. And for a short time, she even had him all to herself as she mothered this infant child. But far beyond that, she was his first disciple. And so in the epilogue of Mary's life, where do we find her in her final scene? 
We find her with John and the other disciples of the resurrected Jesus, and they're waiting for the coming of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in Acts 1, she's actually the only female listed by name in the waiting. But she was there. And just like her son, she was there because she was about her father's business. Because her marriage was over at this point. Joseph had died some time ago. We don't know exactly when he died. And now her firstborn son was gone. And what Jewish society would have told her is, you're nothing. (laughs) Your firstborn is gone. Your husband is gone. You are nothing. But Jesus had given her a different identity. And it was deep. And it was rooted. And she knew exactly who she was. She was there at Jesus' birth. And she was there at the birth of the church. In that upper room, when the Holy Spirit descended, Mary was there. And she knew exactly who she was. She was a sister. She was a mother. She was part of a growing spiritual family that needed her and that she needed. She was part of the church. And I think the words of Jesus that were to Mary are for us as well. And those words are words like, follow me. Let your roots go deep in me. Let your identity flow from who you are as my beloved child. And if you want blessing and you want favor in your life, we pray for that sometimes, don't we? God, show me your favor. Pour out your blessing. The first step is believing, The really the only step, is believing that you already are who God says you are. You already have his blessing. You already have his favor. You're his child. And blessed are you when you obey the word of God. Let's pray together. God, I'm so grateful this morning for Mary. What an amazing woman who taught us so much about humility and submission and giving ourselves to you. And oh, how tender you were with her as her son, as you, as you moved her into more identity than the world had offered her. And I thank you, Father, that our society and our world does not define us. You do. Our identity comes from being your child your created ones, the ones who you have placed your image in and said it's good. Father, I pray that we would walk in that, that we'd understand it more, that we'd even let the words of Jesus this morning jar us a little bit. Cause us to wrestle and to ponder and to think and to want more. And as we do, Father, would you open our eyes to our identity that is rooted in you, in beauty, and in grace, and in truth, and in mercy. I ask all of this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with us, and we're going to worship, and as we do that, if you have need of prayer in your life for anything, we have some trusted people in the back that would love to pray with you, and maybe it has nothing to do with this message this morning. God's just stirring something in your heart of taking a step towards him. 
or giving something to him or just asking for somebody to stand with you, would you take the opportunity and go to the back and just receive some prayer this morning? And let's worship.